I'm Akasha, as you said, and um, I'm passionate about connecting people to themselves, the world, and each other. Every experience has shaped me and molded me into what I do now. I have to go to when I was eight years old and I started meditating and doing energy work. And that was my first aha moment. And I just had several other aha moments where I just kept getting more aligned with myself, more interested in exploring my own internal world and interested in um, sharing that with others. So I can't connect people to themselves, but I can connect to myself and I can connect to you and I can connect to the world. And through myself connecting to myself, I can show others how it's done. So it's my life's work right now to deliver this information in a learnable way, whether that's online programs or whether that's speaking to people or whether that's working one-on-one -on -one with people. It's not mine, I just need to give it away because it is like a manual. It's like the missing pieces that we weren't taught. It just makes sense and, and I believe that you can have all different, you can have a different religious belief, you can have all different cultural beliefs and whoever you are, you can apply it because all it is is a framework. Happiness is a, in an emotion, right? So it comes and it goes. But a happy life or a joyful life is the, the overall theme or the vibe of the life. I think you have to have compassion to have integrity. In order to restore integrity, in order to own up to what actions you took and what impact that had on yourself or others, that takes compassion. And guilt is just, like I said, it's an indication that one was out of integrity. And it's, it's a call to be in integrity. And in that moment, if you realize you're guilty, you just run an integrity exercise and boom, now you're, you're mentally in integrity and you know what you're gonna do next time and, and you've let that go and you can move on. How's it going, powerful people? Thank you for tuning back to another episode here on the Unlimited Power Show. We've reached to the end of the season, season, six episode 10 and i want to thank you for this journey the 70th episode has been amazing sharing all of these stories of all of these amazing beings sharing their light that's what this show is all about today i'm sitting with the one and only akasha rosewaters akasha thank you for coming on the show today thank you for having me well so before we begin why don't you tell us exactly what your essence is all about who are you what are you passionate about Ooh. Um, I'm Akasha, as you said, and um, I'm passionate about connecting people to themselves, the world, and each other. Mm, that's very interesting. Connecting people to themselves, the world, and, uh, and, and each other. Mm. So how, how can somebody, how can you connect someone to themselves? Mm. Or how can somebody get connected to themselves? So I can't connect people to themselves, but I can connect to myself and I can connect to you, and I can connect to the world. And through myself connecting to myself, I can show others how it's done. Mm. So it's like self-connection in order to empower other people as well. Yeah, and also self-connection. What I do inside reflects outside. Be the change. So tell us a little bit more about how you do that. You know, like what is exactly do you do as a profession? 
So I'm an emotional fitness coach and the creator of the EmoFit method and master teacher of inner world technology. So I do this by teaching the tools and the practices and I also do it by being a space for others to explore, safely explore themselves and communication. And I do this through uh, group facilitation, um, private coaching. So the emo fit method, what does that mean like to be mentally, to be emotionally fit? I guess I just gave it away. What does the emo fit means? I mean, I have something called mental health fitness, okay. like to like make your mind sharper or more fit. So what is emo fit? So the emo fit method is actually a form of inner world technology or inner technology. Um, done in a specific way, so in a methodical way. Um, it's not just emotions, it's mind, it's body, it's energy, and then finally the emotions. It's also about how we relate to the world and how we relate to other people. Um, I found that we can't have emotional fitness without having this holistic approach. So it does call for fitness in all other areas as well. Mm. So to be emotionally fit, other things have to align as well. Yes, exactly. So like one of the major things, what I really like to do is like talk about your story, right? Mm -hmm. Because one thing that's more empowering or helping others is through sharing, like you said, connecting to yourself, being okay with what you discovered about yourself, mm -hmm. and then plugging in and sharing what you've learned. So what are some experiences that have shaped you and molded you to what you do now? Hmm. I would say every experience has shaped me and molded me into what I do now. Mm -hmm. so, how, so tell us about some specific experiences. When was the first time that you felt like, okay, now I'm going to take a new route on life and I'm going to start doing this? Well, the first time I felt like I needed to take a new route or I wanted to explore, to explore certain things. I would say I have to go to when I was eight years old and I started meditating and doing energy work. And that was my first aha moment. And I just had several other aha moments where I just kept getting more aligned with myself, more interested in exploring my own internal world and interested in um, sharing that with others through connecting, through um, compassionate living, you, you said that at a young age, certain things, like, out of ordinary, I would say, like, you, you experience certain things that, like, normal people wouldn't experience. What did you tell us more about those? I don't know that normal people wouldn't experience them. I think a lot of times we do experience them. We just don't know what we're experiencing. As a young child, I remember sitting in a chair and just contemplating on my body. Like, how do I know my body's here? If I close my eyes, I can't see my body. So how do I know it's there? I feel my body. So I remember at a young age just being extremely still, 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 and seeing what would happen when I got super still. And I remember there came a point where I would just be numb and I thought it was really cool. So I would do this like all the time to get myself to that place of being just numb and I couldn't see my body and it was pretty bug out. But I think that kids and us, you know, when we were younger, we, we were always thinking and exploring. We just forget. Somehow I've managed to remember or be aware of what I was experiencing. Yeah. So like, I know right now, I, I think like kids should meditate more. They should be more in tune with themselves. Yeah. Um, 
like what do you think about like supplementing some of the things that we have like as far as to control the behavior of kids which has to do with emotions um like for instance add adhd to name a few what are some things that you think it could be incorporated to help facilitate like a mental health program for kids to help them deal better with their emotions i think the largest thing the biggest thing of course meditation and some sort of spiritual practice um but also allowing the child to feel what they feel, allowing the child to feel angry, allowing the child to express their anger, allowing their child to express their shadow self. Um, I believe that we're born with a shadow. We're born with a context or an environment that was passed down from our parents. It's in our genetics. All of the trauma that our parents experienced is in us, so we come here with that and when certain things happen that gets triggered and we have certain thought patterns and it that's how we begin to live this human experience that could be completely blissful but most of the time it isn't you know we have this pain that comes with us so i think acknowledging that pain and being open about our own pain as adults and allowing a child the space to express what's there no matter what it is I think that that's where it starts. So like somebody told me like kids have feelings too, they're little people, right? They're little people, they have feelings, they have the same emotions adults have in their own, their own, you know, their own ways, you know, they might not have the same problems you do, but how can we listen better, communicate better? Like you said, being in tune with like, with like children, for instance. I would say just ask them what's there. You know, hey, if you notice that something happened with, let's say, let's take a scenario, a kid, your kid or a kid you're connected to, goes to a park and there's another kid there who kind of starts picking on them, right? And then that's an experience and then it stops, like nothing drastic happens. Talking to your kid about that, right? Even the smallest things. Hey, how did you feel when that kid took the ball from you? And the kid might not have the words, so give them the words. Did you feel like, did you feel small? Did you feel unheard? Did you feel unseen? And see what they say. And a lot of times they'll say, yeah, I did. I felt unseen. And they'll start to use those words. They'll start to label their feelings, which is huge. Because when we label something, we put it in a box, right? And that can be a good thing sometimes. Sometimes we don't want to put it in a box. But I think with kids, we have to, we have to give them the words. You know, like one thing that sometimes meanings are not necessarily what you said or intended to say, they're what is derived from the person receiving them. Like you can say something, but somebody heard something different because they have their filters, which then categorize whatever you said as this means that or that means that, sometimes even subconsciously. So I think it's very important sometimes to even watch like what she's saying. Right, so staying away, like for instance, we're talking about how communicating with our kids can affect them, but let's talk about more of like your self-communication, right? So oftentimes there's an inner conversation going within you, right? Mm -hmm. And that conversation is like you being your parent talking to yourself as a child, maybe you trying to get yourself to get up and do something or get yourself to get over and go somewhere. So how do we monitor our inner conversation and be more in tune? I think meditation's huge for that. 
meditation creates that awareness. So tell us what you specifically tell your coaching clients or maybe that you practice for yourself as a form of meditation or other tips you may give them. There's many forms of meditation and a lot of them are beneficial. The one that I go to for um, really developing that neutral state is a Vipassana mindful meditation practice, which is a very powerful form of meditation, also known as spiritual surgery. Um, so that's what I teach my coaches, but then I also help them develop that confidence and that trust in their inner voice, because I think a lot of times we push our inner voice to the side. We don't take heed to it. And that's where our inner guru is. See, we all, we all have an inner guru. And the only reason I believe that we need people like me or other teachers is because we're not listening to what's already present within us. And we can be self-sufficient in that. We can heal ourselves. We can guide ourselves. We can steer ourselves away from unhealthy or dangerous situations. So I think that the inner voice is a huge thing to pay attention to. So how does, when you're in your meditative practice, how does that look like? <laughs> so what's going on? Explain to people, because we hear all the time, you meditate, but we need to know what it is that, how do we get to do it? What's the steps? You know, like, so I'm about to meditate in the form that you do it, what, is, what are you doing? That's perfect. I, I actually have a program called the Peace Anchor Meditation Process, and it takes you through all those different steps because mm -hmm. I can sit here and tell you, but we need to go step by step. Mm -hmm. But you can yeah. give us an overview. Okay, so sitting, step one. Good. Breathing, step two. Releasing the future, releasing the past, being in the present. I can't really give you an overview, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it's way, something I mean, you have to experience. Sit, like, for instance, just sit, sitting, what is the position how what are you feeling you know how what are you are you letting go you know certain things like that it depends on the person some people don't let go some people do better meditating laying down some people can only sit five minutes some people can do longer some people have to move a little bit while they meditate some people can take on the um, challenge of being still the entire time so it really has to do with where is, where is a person at and what traumas do they have? And is the meditation going to conjure up those traumas, you know? Hmm. So they say that if you meditate in a mind that's like unhealthy, right? And this is a, it was a, somebody said this, and I'm not sure if I completely agree with it, but I do can take away some things from it. If you meditate in an unhealthy mind state, if you're meditating on the wrong things, right? For instance, you could be meditating negatively against yourself, you know, in a way where you're meditating in a state that is actually not a good state of mind that can be detrimental as opposed to being beneficial. Hmm. So if you're in a limiting state or like thinking that everything is going to be, for instance, you could say that everything within the next three months is horrible. Everything is about to go down. I'm about to die in the next three months. And then I go, I sit down in this meditation. And as I'm meditating, trying to go in and out between the realms of everything is horrible and I'm trying to be peaceful, I could be 
merging two things and then and in turn like getting to the dark side they call it the dark side of meditation what do, what do you think about that i have no idea what you're talking about to be honest I mean, I hear it. I hear what you're saying. And I think you're saying um, harping on a thought, a certain thought that doesn't benefit you. Pretty right. much. That right? doesn't work. Is that mm -hmm. what you're saying? Yeah, you could just be thinking about something really like you, you're constantly thinking about this thing, but it's not really helping you go anywhere, right? Right. And then you're trying, you, you kind of meditate, whatever you're thinking is a form of meditation because mm -hmm. repetition is a form of a mantra which mm -hmm. then becomes a form of meditation. So we're all in a meditative state somewhere or the other. It's just that sometimes our meditative, med, quote unquote, these are not really necessarily meditative states. Sometimes our meditative states are just like zombie states, right? Like the mm -hmm. subconscious hijack state. It's my understanding that so I can't teach anyone how to meditate. Yeah. I believe that a certain process I put together can take someone to meditation, but from what I understand, meditation is a sporadic and spontaneous thing that happens when one learns how to concentrate. So concentration of the mind is really what meditation teachers are teaching. We can con concentrate the mind on a mantra. We can concentrate it on breath. We can concentrate it on a thought, right? Whatever it is we concentrate on, we're concentrating the mind, focus. So I guess in that way, I mean, if it's not bringing the results you want, then you want to switch it up. The type that I teach, the Vipassana meditation, is mantra-less. We don't focus on, the, on mantras. We don't use the mind. We use the mind as a tool to focus on the body, so body awareness. And we also do that by focusing on the breath. So breath and body, and that takes us out of the mind. So there's, of course, all the chatter, all the negative talk, or all the thoughts about the future, the thoughts about the past, even the thoughts about the present. And we just bypass that, and we go in the body. And from there, we anchor in. And I think what you were talking about is when you have these thoughts, whether they're positive or negative or a mantra, we anchor our presence there. We locate our mind in that place. So, yeah, I find when you locate in the body, that's how you are present. People say, be present, be grounded. You do that by going in the body. So you're saying the body is where you can come home, is yes. what you're saying, mm -hmm. to get grounded in? Yes, hmm. exactly. So, I mean, what, that's interesting because what I do with Tai Chi, which is, I would say another form of meditation, is using the body as a, as a tool to to move your energy throughout your throughout your body, right? Right. So once again, like the whole concept of it being like a home or, or like a, a source of pl place of refuge. Yes. So how about if I don't want to be in my body, like the disconnection between the body, how does that affect your emotions, your emotional fitness? Well, I will say when you say that, I know this isn't directly answering your question, but that's that's just it. A lot of us are not in our body because we've experienced some form of trauma and the trauma says, sends the message that our body isn't safe. And so when we come back to the body, then we have to feel that trauma. We have to feel the nervous system realigning itself and it can be uncomfortable. So we avoid it. We go in our phones. We 
go in the computer, we think, 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 like you were talking about, we watch shows, we're extra social, keep distracting and distracting because to us on a subconscious level, the body isn't safe until we go through it. And then once we go through it, there is that safety. There is that refuge. So there's an interesting like viewpoint that knowledge is like a knife, right? Like, it's like they say you have a sharp mind because it could cut through like information and cut through it, right? So knowledge is like, like a knife. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when you're thinking so much, you can be cutting through your conscious. You know, you could be cutting stuff out or you could be using tools of mass destruction mm -hmm. for medial things. What, I'm, yeah. what I mean by that, overthinking. So let's talk more about overthinking and how does that affect your well-being and what is that? Well, the mind is a tool, so it's neutral. And when we have power, we're using our mind for good, for what works, right? We're focusing on something, whether it's our higher power, whether it's uh, getting healthy or balance, right? And then when we use our mind for destructive things or chaotic things or things that don't serve us, that's where it kind of goes the other way. Mm -hmm. So do you think your way out of overthinking, would you say? <laughs> that doesn't seem to be right. I would say that first and foremost, someone learning a meditation practice and learning how to be neutral, learning how to go in the body is first, number one, step one, you have to because you, that's how you get out of all that chatter and that's how you can develop discernment because without that, you're just down the rabbit hole of one thought after another and you can't, you know, there's confusion, there's no clarity, you can't choose and decide what's serving you and what's not. So first meditation, first body awareness, first neutralization, and then you can use the mind as a tool, but not until you have power over it, not until you know how. So not until you have power over it, like... Yeah, not until you know how to use it. Our mind's using us most of the time. It is, they say that, where's the manual for the, like, the human being, right? There's no manual. I got it. You gave us the manual, right? You got the manual? I got it, yeah. Where I do. It it's on my website. <laughs> okay. So that's the website we're visiting. What's it, what is the website? Well... Okay, if you go to it right now, you're not going to see it up, but it's um, www.innerworldtechnology.com and the emofitmethod.com. Innerworld Technology. It's interesting that it's called that, right? So, so we're talking about the manual. If your body is like a very interesting technology, you should know the ins and outs and how to use it, right? Yes. So you should know how to deal with like what's going on with you, hence your emotions. Um, you should know maybe how to communicate to the spirit mm -hmm. or through the spirit to the soul, but we don't really necessarily know about all these things, right? Yeah. So how is it that we can make use of the technology if we don't have all the information, right? And how did you discover some of the information for yourself? Like, What brought you onto the journey of learning more about all of this and how can we do it for us? So it's my life's work right now to deliver this information in a learnable way, whether that's online programs or whether that's speaking to people or whether that's working one-on-one -on -one with people. 
it's not mine. I just need to give it away because it is like a manual. It's like the missing pieces that we weren't taught. It just makes sense. And, and I believe that you can have all different, you can have a different religious belief. You can have all different cultural beliefs and whoever you are, you can apply it because all it is is a framework. So it, it's a framework to better direct yourself so you can have a better life destination. It's an idea. Direction. It's an idea. It's just ideas. So yeah, it's a way, to... way of thinking. Yeah. It's a way of thinking. It's a way to categorize. It's a way to understand um, certain things about life. It's how to live that happy, joyful life. It's easy. It's broken down in steps. You were talking about mental health earlier and really it, mental health is a holistic thing you know someone's depressed someone has anxiety are they getting enough vitamins what does their diet look like huge huge it's holistic so like the whole holistic approach is like really what i i think we should focus on so yeah. that's very interesting the last question that i was going to ask okay. you well or besides that i wanted to ask you before we close off all the emotions and what are some of the top emotions that we should know about and how to manage them and how to use them to give us a better life okay. experience? So can we talk about anger? Yeah. Okay, anger is a good one. Anger I hear all the time. Anger I see all the time, whether someone's aware that they're angry or not. Anger is a good one. In my practice, anger is energy. It's there to let you know that you need to set a boundary. What is a boundary? Boundaries are broken down very simply. A boundary is a need, a want, or a don't want. That's it. And the anger is there because that boundary has been crossed, because there's confusion and lack of clarity on what it is you need, you want, and you don't want. So once you get clear, and I do this all the time, and my clients do it as well, my coaches, piece of paper, you're upset, you're emotionally distraught. You don't even have to be angry. You just have to be charged, right? You just write down, what are your needs? What are your wants? What do you don't want, right? And then from there, you have that clarity. There's a lot of different work that can be done um, with that piece of paper in front of you. Many different places you can go within and explore in yourself. But one of the things, just getting clear on that and having that anger to to say it and to speak it and to know that you're worthy of it, yeah, that's my opinion on anger. Anger is a catalyst. So let's talk, when you talk about boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. like anger could be used as a brick to build up a wall, you know, to prevent somebody from taking advantage of you, but mm -hmm. it could also be, be used as a brick to keep you in a cell. Like, mm -hmm. So the same anger that can defend you can enslave you, right? So let's talk about the enslavement of anger. I believe that if you use anger appropriately and healthily, it will not enslave you. The problem is we don't get in touch with our anger. We don't feel it. We don't use it as the energy that it is. We repress it. And when we repress it and we pretend like it's not there and we don't express it, then it boxes us in. Because once you use it and you say, okay, this is what I want, this is what I don't want, boom, it's gone. It floats away. I, like, I, I think, you know, I believe, like, like you said, it's either it floats away or it implodes, you know. Mm. Like, I think what doesn't explode, implodes. So if your anger doesn't explode out to other people, or doesn't explode out in the form of, like, a, a rage attack or, like, 
something violent or maybe just something verbally violent, like knives over your words, mm-hmm. then it implodes inside and then there's a, what I would say, a deep, deep anger, right? Deep anger that just, you're just an angry person. Right. So then your anger, it literally implodes into your DNA mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it, then it expresses itself in your personality, right? Right. So that's kind of like, so implosion goes to your like psychology DNA, psychological DNA, and it shows out in your personality. Mm-hmm. Then everybody knows you as an angry person, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we go from being a Grinch <laughs> to like <laughs> somebody nicer? If we were just an angry person, if we've been categorized as that. Are you an angry person? No, no, I'm not talking about, I'm talking for the people. (laughs) Okay. I'm interviewing for the people. Yeah, I mean, everybody's different, of course, but I would say we don't need to explode. It doesn't need to be explosive. I think the explosiveness comes when we don't catch it early on. Yeah. Yeah. So there's ways, uh, and a lot of therapists don't recommend this, and some of them do, and I'm not a therapist, but hitting a pillow, screaming in a pillow, I have found to be really amazing to get people out of that, like withdrawn, because when the anger, as you called it, implodes, people become depressed, and they become angry at themselves, and they become withdrawn, and that's when a lot of self-destructive behaviors can happen. So it's better to be like, I am... This person, name, insert name, I am angry right now and I love myself and it's okay to be upset. Of course I'm upset that this person cut me off in traffic. They just put my life in danger. It's valid. And I think validating our anger, validating it. It's there to protect us. It's there to give us that energy and that fire to make a change. We don't even have to be angry concerning ourselves. We can be angry concerning the world. And we can use that, we can harness it in a way to take a stand for something. Healthy anger. You could use it as a force for change. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I say that all, but I say that all the time in, all, in my speeches, right? Yeah. I say my definition of, of finding a mission is to find something that pisses you off that you don't understand why nobody's doing anything about it <laughs> and you do something about it. Right because we're often sparked by things that piss us off rather than Mm -hmm. things that interest us. We often get interested in solving something that pisses us off more than get interested in something that just makes us happy. Right, I say the same thing. Your purpose is found in your pain. So whether it's anger or just a deep sadness where you're like crying for the world, that's your purpose. That's it right there. Yeah. Yes, I Mm -hmm. say um, the the rocks of your pain is the diamonds of your success. Yep, exactly. Right. Okay, that's we're aligned. <laughs> yeah, it's true though, and that's where that emotional charge is there for a reason. It's not bad. See, we can neutralize all day. I'm all for knowing how to neutralize. You have to know how, right? But when it comes down to it, those emotions are there for a reason, and we can use them. So, I mean, aside from anger, after anger either explodes or simply expressed, right? I'd, 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 I'd say that it's best to express. Whatever you don't express either implodes or explodes. So if you make an impression out of your emotions, then it's simply sharing what's going on. And you can be in a kind way saying that, yeah. hey, you made me really, that was really bad. Of, I didn't really like that. It kind of stirred me up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Please don't do it like that. You know, we're friends and we don't want to mess up this relationship. And that's just expressing what happened, right? 
So if self-expression doesn't happen, you know, implosion or explosion happens. Mm -hmm. But then how are some other, what happens when we express anger or explode anger in a way that causes harm to another person? Then what we're given back is guilt, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the result of not controlling or expressing your anger is, you know, being guilty about what you did in response to it. So how do we deal with the emotion of guilt? Oh, so now we've moved to guilt. Right. Okay. You said anger, but my thing is guilt. I think guilt is a big one. Okay. Guilt is an indication. Guilt is an indication for being out of integrity. Now, if you were going to say shame, that's a different one. But you said guilt. So guilt is... Yeah, I think it's a it's a call to go inward. It's an indication. It's like, hey, are you really are your actions aligning with who you are? See, guilt is one of those emotions I ha I personally haven't felt in a long time, and it's surprisingly not in my space a lot with people that I work with. The bigger one that I work with is shame, as opposed to guilt. I think guilt is simply an indication to come back to the self and look at. Are the behaviors aligned with who you are? Are the behaviors in line with, um, are they in integrity? Guilt is a being out of integrity. And there are simple practices we can do to, boom, restore integrity and move on. Shame and guilt, right? Mm -hmm. Let's think about those two emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Shame, I would say, is the expression of a, of a guilt not that wasn't paid attention to, right? Mm -hmm. Shame is the result of the lack of paying attention. Okay. Guilt either causes shame or it causes an action that keeps you away from shame because you took care of whatever you were guilty about or you made, you made means to it or you apologized. But shame is when guilt was never dealt with. Mm -hmm. So it, it goes all the way down to shame. Right. Like, I don't even look at guilt to be a negative emotion. Guilt is just, like I said, it's an indication that one was out of integrity. And it's, it's a call to be in integrity. And in that moment, if you realize you're guilty, you just run an integrity exercise, and boom, now you're, you're mentally in integrity, and you know what you're going to do next time, and, and you've let that go, and you can move on. Mm. So those are two things that... Um... Yeah, you could let it be an indication yeah. on that it's a time to either move on or do something else. So that's pretty interesting. I think guilt can also be an excuse to disconnect. So it's like, oh, man, this action was out of integrity. Obviously, most people don't think like that. Some people do, but a lot of people don't. Okay, so I'm, let's say I hit the plant. Okay, <laughs> There's a violent act. Now I'm out of integrity and I feel guilty. But instead of, you know, it takes, it takes something to restore integrity and to own up to the fact that I just hit the plant and that was violent, right? So if somebody doesn't want to do that because it's scary, it can act as an excuse to disconnect. So when we talk about restoring integrity, mm -hmm. you know, inter, saying, you know, inter, like integrity or integer, meaning one. So inter integer one usually talking about yourself right oh. integrity is really not outside of you right so a lot of times you're like okay integrity is the result is what happens as integrity causes this person to see me as being 
or a person with integrity. But in fact, integrity is just what's inside of you. You know, there's a feeling inside of yourself that you're in one with your values, right? Exactly, yeah. Right? So how do we practice not only self-integrity, like to what we, the standards we make, but self-compassion when we don't live to those standards? Mm. How do we have the integrity to stick to the standards, but how do we have the impact, compassion when we don't stick to those standards. I think you have to have compassion to have integrity. In order to restore integrity, in order to own up to what actions you took and what impact that had on yourself or others, that takes compassion. So have you experienced like an encounter with self-compassion where you have to be compassionate towards yourself when you maybe you were shaming yourself, maybe you was down on yourself? Like, Tell us about a moment where you had to like literally talk to yourself and be more compassionate and loving. It's been a long time since I've had to talk myself into compassion. It's so second, second, second nature. nature. It's just I am. I am a compassionate space for myself. If I mess up, then I restore integrity with myself, in myself. That's interesting. So what are some practical steps that we can do to restore integrity? Acknowledging the action from a neutral place and looking at what were the results of that and connecting the two and then reflecting on is that what i wanted to create is that who i am is that what i stand for and if the answer is no okay well what do i stand for and what would that look like next time now that we've looked at some of these emotions like guilt shame anger let's talk about the emotion of happiness right so what does it mean to be happy Okay, what does it mean to be happy? I automatically break it down. I don't know that happiness is, happiness is a, in an emotion, right? So it comes and it goes. But a happy life or a joyful life is the, the overall theme or the vibe of the life. Right. So I think that there's a distinction between the two because emotions come and go. But I would say for, I don't see, I don't want to jinx myself, so never mind. <laughs> for some people, they have an attitude of happiness in their life or they have a theme, a vibe of happiness. And I would say that that's what we're going for. And in order to do that, there are specific things that need to be looked at and taken into account. So is happiness itself, because when I think of a theme, a theme changes, right? Mm -hmm. I think of a vibe, vibes change, vibes evolve, you know? So does happiness come and it goes then? Or is it something that we can always kind of have? Is it, is it? Is it like something that escapes and come back or is it something that gets suppressed? I mean, how does that work? I think happiness stays when we are neutral, when we are the cup in which everything else is experienced in. So when I say theme or overall vibe, I would say look at your life like a movie. And if you look at your life like a movie from zero all the way up until now, and you really picture that and visualize it in your head, you, you will see a theme. 
you will see themes that stay with you all the way till now. It's like the color of your life. It's like a song, right? It has a story and each story is different and each story has pain and each story has happy moments, painful moments and the blending of the two because every happy moment will come to an end. And so it's bittersweet. It's very, very sad, right? And when we can connect to that, to that beauty of even the sadness of you, right? That you won't be anymore one day. That this story of you in this body with this name will come to an end. And when we can connect to that sadness and when we can be in the experience of our emotions coming and going, our thoughts coming and going, we become then the cup, the observer and the experiencer at the same time. And I would say for an artist such as myself, for a human being who wants to live such as myself, that's a place of happiness. So I think it's different for everybody. I like that. Becoming the observer, yet being the person experiencing is a great concept because experiences can be traumatic, they can be happy, they can be blissful. Experiences can be at the top or the bottom of the happiness spectrum. But if you could be the observer, you could always observe the experience while being in it and then knowing your essence is so great or mm -hmm. it surpasses an experience that you can be happy in the midst of turmoil and trouble because you understand that the pain is the diamond of your success. Right, exactly. Right, like yeah. I said. That's pretty interesting. It's a good way of looking at happiness mm -hmm. because it's all an experience. We're just experiencing life. Yeah. So that's some great insight into some of the major emotions. You got happiness. And I guess I would say the last one I asked you is love. So that emotion of love, what is that? What is it used for? How is it beneficial? I wouldn't consider love an emotion. Mm. Okay. So what would love be then? Love is chemicals in the brain. Oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin. It's a physiological response that happens when we are connected to something. Whether it's ourselves, whether it's another person, whether it's an art. Love is flow state. So it's that, it's an action. It's also a receiving. It's an action, it's a surrender, it's a creative, it's a surrender. So I would say a lot of us want to get into flow state, right, as artists. So we might dance or we might sing, right? That's, that's love. You can feel it when you're in it, right? Um, when it comes to romantic love, that's chemical. When it comes to um, human love, a lot of times it's chemical, simply put. So you think love is just all chemical? It's just a response of the... Of the I think love is a human attachment. And it, it is a, a lot of the time based on chemicals. And it's also based on what is created between people. So connection and trust. And it's an action. Does that make sense? It, it it's something, sense. Yeah, it's something I haven't explored a lot. I, I remember being younger. It was like my main word. I would be like, you know, 
everything's love, you know? I'm love, you're love. Like it was my, I used love as a way to describe energy, just that loving energy. God, pretty much. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say when he said love was not emotion, I thought you were taking to the extent that love is way more than an emotion. I think love is expressed as an emotion. That's where the physiological comes. Because think about it. Love is such a grandeur of a word. It's such a big word. And it's such like a very important word that it gets diluted by just having one word for multiple meanings. Just romantic love. Mm -hmm. There's just like, oh, I love you as a friend. Mm -hmm. So love is expressed in so many ways because it's a, like I said, it's a connection. And I say spirituality is about communication and connection. So love facilitates as the road that connects people. That's what they say. Oh, like I'm black, you're Asian, all over the world. We come to a cause and we just, we love each other, right? Right. Because there's this flow of energy connecting people. Yes. So exactly that the giving and the receiving, it's a flow of energy. It's a connection. It's a, you know, so if we think of God even like, or love as God, that's the same thing. You, the relationship with the divine can be broken down as you're giving. So you're living a life in service to the divine and you're also receiving life just like a movie. So you also intend on what you want to create in your life, but you also receive what's there for you. So it's an intention and it's a surrender. It's both. It's like the cup that's never empty, like you were yeah. saying, right? You are a cup, you get, you get the ingredient, the water of love, yeah. whatever, you, maybe the wine of love. Yeah. And you give it back out and you stay full that way. But it's about mindset, perspective. Do you see your cup half full or half empty? Like, are you, are you in the pes- pessimist or optimist side of the spectrum, right? Right. So that's pretty interesting. Those were some really great insight. Hmm. Hopefully, I, I don't know, I'm just thinking. I like thinking out loud. Okay. I like doing like this. Yeah. Or I like sometimes confusing the hell out of people. Yeah. What I mean by that is, is if you just keep it basic, you never really explore new ways of thinking. And I find out that Mm -hmm. you don't really know what you don't, you don't really know what you really know. Yeah. Which means the knowledge that you tap into, you don't really know that you know them. In order to express them, you gotta sometimes not use like the nice of your intellect, like, like I said, but sometimes you just gotta let it flow. That's that connecting without even having to think. Like, I'm not thinking right now at all. I'm not thinking about what I'm about to say next. Yeah. I'm not really thinking about, like, what am I even, what's the subject? Things are just flowing. Yeah. So when you get in that flow, you create, right? You get to, that's what meditation does, is it relaxes you so you can get in that flow to create. Whatever your art may be. My thing is words, and we know what I'm doing here. So I think it's important that we get in that flow. Right. So... I want to ask you the last thing is what would be your final message to anybody watching today to urge them to discover the power they have within themselves, to chase their passion, to do something different, um, to improve the better quality of their, to improve the quality of their lives pretty much. Oh, that's a good one. Um, So something that's pretty much like it can be, it's like flat out good for everybody, journaling. I would say journal. If you know how to journal correctly, your your thoughts, you just write down what's going on on your in, in your internal world. I heard somewhere that it's as good as having a therapist. 
So to develop that that self-awareness, that's what I would say today. I can attest to that. Yeah, just start journaling right now. Go get a book, get a pen, start writing some things down every day. Like the journal part, because I actually journal a lot. Yeah. And it really does the work. You get to see yourself in different stages of your life. What emotions take to where I'm at. Yeah. Oh, what was I thinking? What's my mindset like? So it's pretty cool. My whole thing is everybody wants to tell people to go, 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 which is great. I want to tell people to stop, stop, stop take a moment, go inward, journal, feel your body, meditate, become neutral, see what's working, see what's not working. Start there. Yeah. yeah. One thing that came to me yesterday was like, most people say you will not outwork me, right? What? Motivational speakers say you will not outwork me, okay. which means you will not work harder than I do. And I came up with something yesterday, maybe I didn't come up with it, it just came to me, right? Which you will not outlive me, right? So you will not outlive me. I will live my life to its best capability, which means I will experience everything. Okay. I'll be in tune to the moment. So you will not outlive me. Okay. Right. <laughs> or maybe it shouldn't even be a competition, but it's just that I will outlive. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with healthy competition. I think that's so, good. What, how do people connect with you? What's your, what do you have going on for you? Plug yourself okay. in. Okay, so usually Instagram. So slash queen of the inner worlds. That's a way that a lot of people get in contact with me. Um, you want website? I already gave you the websites. Yeah. I mean, you can but, okay, www.innerworldtechnology.com and emofitmethod.com as well. And there's two Facebook pages for those. Okay, thank yeah. you. Well, you thank you always, for being on the show. You can always Google Akasha Rose Waters as well. I'll pop up. Akasha Rose Waters. Yep. Thank you. Thanks. And thank you for tuning into another episode of the Unlimited Power Show, where we have insightful conversations about all types of stuff. Spirituality, mental health, mindset, personal growth and development. You name it. I'm your host. My name is Edward Giles. I'm sitting with the one and only Akasha Rose Waters. It's been a pleasure to serve you today. Last message. Remember, you have unlimited power in you, but you have to believe it. Simple. Belief is the letter opener of your talents and abilities, right? It opens it up. So until you believe it, you'll forever miss all the talents, all the gifts, and all the great things you have to offer. So remember, let your light shine, don't hide it, and don't dim it. Peace. <laughs>